This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MLB Pipeline's Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. And on the podcast this week, we have Mike Rosenbaum as well. So the full Pipeline team is together. We're going to talk about the top 100 prospects list that came out over the weekend. We'll get into that, dive deep into it. We're also going to talk about Mark Appel. That's where we're going to start. But first, Mike, welcome in, and thanks for joining us to make this a complete podcast. We don't usually have the whole team together. It's a complete total meeting of the brain trust. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we're going to look behind the curtain a little bit with you guys about how the 100 list gets put together. But let's start with Appel. Mark Appel, the former number one overall pick after being the number eight overall pick the previous year. That was 2012 by the Pirates. He went number eight. Then he was the number one pick by the Astros in 2013. He has decided to call it quits, or I guess call it quits for now. He did kind of leave the door open to possibly make a return at some point. But, Jonathan, I'll start with you. Um, it's just... Here's a guy that there was so much promise, and it, it was supposed to be a guy that moved quickly, obviously out of the University of Stanford, was going to get to the big leagues fast, be a top-of-the-rotation guy, and it just never came together. No, it, it didn't for a, for a whole host of reasons. and uh, we, uh, we all missed, even those of us who weren't as high on him as others. I, I mean, I, I figured at the very least he'd be a, a big leaguer in a hurry, uh, back-end starter if it didn't all work. I mean, the, the pure stuff was always there until he started running into injuries. But even before he started having to deal with shoulder things and things like that, uh, it was, a lot of it was just a, a confidence thing and a mental thing. I don't know if going to Lancaster right at the gate was the, the, the best thing for him. Um, but, you know, you have to learn how to deal with adversity. He just never made adjustments and never turned the corner. He would have stretches where it looked like, okay, it's starting to look more like what people thought it was going to look like, uh, and then it would back up, and then he started getting hurt. Um, and, uh, and and it just it just never clicked. And, and then the, the trade to Philadelphia, uh, more injuries, talk of maybe him being a, a reliever. I mean, he was DFA'd uh, this offseason, and nobody picked him up. And I think that kind of painted a, a picture of where he had fallen to. Jim, um, you know, I know you're a bit of an encyclopedia when it comes to the draft and everything. And if he doesn't come back at some point and make it to the big leagues, uh, he would be just the third number one overall pick to not make it to the majors. Obviously, that's that's not great. And it, and it obviously hasn't held the Astros back so too much, having won the World Series last year. But still, you wonder what, what could have been with that rotation if he had made it. And I will correct myself since I did say the University of Stanford, which was before the entire university gets on my case. Stanford University. <laughs> Go ahead, Jim. You don't need the carnal lumps, Matt. Yeah, no. I mean, you know, the only three 
guys who have, you know, his career's not concluded, but let's say he doesn't come back. There would only be three number one overall picks who concluded their careers without getting to the big leagues, and it would be Steve Chilcutt in 1966, who the Mets took, uh, Brian Taylor, who the Yankees took in 1991, and Appel. And injuries played a role in all three of those. I mean, somebody asked me today, could Appel be the biggest bust in draft history? Um, You know, there are guys who were picked at the top of the draft who didn't get as far as AAA. But on the flip side, I mean, this is a guy who was supposed to be a very polished college pitcher, was supposed to get there quickly, um, and he didn't. So I, I think you could make that case. I mean, a couple things that I thought about this morning when I when I saw the news was one I remember seeing him in in the Arizona Fall League after uh, his first full pro season and which I saw him pitch horribly once I saw him on a day where he got lit up and it was really his only bad start because he actually had a good fall league that might have been really the high point of his career was how how he pitched that fall but what struck me watching him pitch was the velocity on the fastball was there, but the pitch that was like one of the, the money pitch for him at Stanford was his slider. And I saw a hard slider, but it really wasn't sharp at all. It was a velocity pitch. It wasn't like it was fooling anybody with its break. And when you got to the middle innings and, you know, he lost a couple miles an hour velocity off all his pitches, it was really ordinary. And I remember just being very surprised, that, you know, like, wait a minute, where's this great slider I heard about? And, the other thing that jumped out to me, and you heard this during that first full pro season, and if you read the, the excellent story that, that June Lee had on Bleacher Report where he broke the news this morning and he talked to Appel extensively, I don't think Mark Appel ever loved playing professional baseball. I mean, I, I think, you know, I'm not saying he didn't put in a full effort. I, I think he gave it what he had. But there were reports in 2014 that he just wasn't really fitting in well, you know, in addition to just getting lit up at Lancaster, which might be the hardest p- place to pitch in the minors. But he just wasn't fitting in really well with his teammates. And, and I just don't think, you know, if you read the article, you know, the, the good news is, you know, Mark Appel's not devastated by where his career has gone that he hasn't made it to the big leagues. That's great, you know, and I'm, I'm glad he's not devastated. But you just get the sense, you know, and, and to some people, and there's nothing wrong with this. There's just more to life than baseball for Mark Appel, uh, which, you know, isn't necessarily the case or as much the case with the guy who's a top pick. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, if you, if you read that article, I mean, I don't know if you guys have read it in its entirety yet. I, I don't necessarily get the sense that, you know, he's going to be a guy who a year from now is going to say, oh, geez, you know, what have I done? I've got to make it or I'm a failure. I don't think he's going to let his baseball career define what kind of life he is, and he seemed reasonably happy. And I think that makes sense that he would step away now because of that mindset. You would think if if he was a guy that was just baseball, 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 he would maybe hang on a little longer and try to figure this out, but I think he's just maybe – Time to move on. Time to move on with his life. All right. Time for us to move on to the top 100 prospects list. It is out. You can check out all sorts of stories on MLB Pipeline about it, and we'll get into some of that. Um, I want to first start with just the process. Obviously, this is a, a something that you guys put a lot of thought into. There's discussions, I would think, to some degree, maybe arguments. I don't think you guys have ever come to punches, but uh, but a bit of an argument as well for who goes where. Mike, I want to start with you because you're obviously newer to the process than, than Jonathan and Jim are. Uh, do they ever pick on you, team up on you at all, or do you have an equal say in the discussion for who lands where on the top 100? No, Jonathan and Jim have been very inclusive from the from the beginning since since I was hired and creating our top 100 and just the list process in general, giving me a voice. And uh, I felt this year it was, it was more than ever. And for that reason, I believe the list turned out 
in my three years of doing it, it's my favorite that we've put together so far. So you're saying that giving you more say in this makes it a better list? I wouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'd like to. I'd, I'd like to think that, sure, but. Uh, it just felt like a very complete process this year. Um, we, were, we were very thorough in our discussions, uh, and by that I mean Jim Quibbling. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was very sound process. We, we weighed each guy, really lined them up, um, had multiple discussions. We each, we each composed our own list of, of 125 guys, gradually narrowed it down over the next three drafts of that, submitted it for feedback with executives, used that feedback to craft a final list, and that's how, kinda, how we came to where we are today. Yeah, and, and I think people need to realize how much goes into it and how seriously you guys take this because obviously the list comes out and instant debate on Twitter among fans and that sort of thing, but you do take it very seriously. Jonathan, you guys each obviously have teams that you're kind of focused on. I mean, you obviously all have a broad range knowledge of, of all these players, but you have the certain teams that you focus on more than others um, do you find that you end up pulling for your guys, or not pulling, but arguing stronger for your guys just because you're more into those specific teams than the others? Well, I have to because of Jim's anti-Braves bias. Fair. <laughs> Everybody knows you're the anti-Braves guy, Jonathan. Come on. I, uh, I, I, you know, I do the Braves top 30. Uh, I, I, think, I think it balances out uh, when all is said and done. I don't know if there's like a – you're pulling for guys, but you, you certainly have more familiarity uh, with the guys that you've been writing up for a while or uh, talk much more about because they're on the team that you did a list for. But because these are all the upper echelon guys, uh, you know, it, it, maybe if that comes in play a little bit more at the bottom of the list where they're, you know, a, a guy with a little more upside or. Uh, you've heard a little bit more about that. You uh, want to sneak onto the, to the back end of the list, but I don't. I don't think there's ever been a point in time where that's gotten in the way. Where you say like, "Oh, you know, I can't believe that he wants to put 15 guys on from from this team." Uh, and then if it happens, we uh, we make sure that we correct. You know, we correct that slight slant in one direction or another. Right, and I was going to say, too, I think Jonathan almost – it can work both ways, too, because there can be prospects in an organization if you've covered the organization for, you know, a number of years where maybe you like him less than the other guys. I mean, and it, yeah. it does balance out and we get feedback, so I think we're protected from it anyway. But I think it can definitely go in both directions. And say, I don't want to get accused of hating a particular player, but I do know there's a player – uh, in one of the organizations I do the top 34 that I think you guys both had in the top 100, and I didn't, and I made a, a, a brief uh, email comment as to why I thought it was maybe a little bit early to rank him. But, you know, I, I think we all are, are, are careful to balance that out. I mean, Jonathan always jokes on these podcasts about being a Pirates homer, but it's not like, you know, Jonathan's trying to put, you know, Kevin Newman or Kevin Kramer at number 32 on the list either. So um, I think we're all cognizant of it. And, you know, I I think, I mean, when you say, guys, too, that that a lot of times if there's a guy on the bubble or we're on the fence about, a lot of times we'll probably defer to the guy who covers that organization because if it's a, let's say it's a Nationals guy and Mike does the Nationals, you know, Mike's talked to a lot more people in general about, about that specific player. I think a good example of that this year, uh, you, you guys can weigh in if you have a, a better one, is Ryan Mountcastle. Um, as the guy who does the Orioles' top 30, I have 
gotten extensive feedback on him over the past year and you know, saw him firsthand in the fall league and was kind of just pitching him hard to you guys. And you guys were originally on the fence a little bit, but after discussions, uh, we, we, as Jim was describing, you guys deferred to me in this scenario as we did, you know, I did to Jonathan and Jim and, and with other guys. All right, I want to rattle off the top 10 here. We obviously aren't going to go through the whole 100. I will say of the 100, break down 70 uh, drafted players versus 30 international signings, 46 pitchers versus 54 position players, which seems like it's generally the case where you end up having about a 50-50 split thereabouts between position players and pitchers. The top 10, though, uh, Shohei Otani, number one. Obviously, he fits both roles, a right-handed pitcher and an outfielder. Um, but I think you guys have him technically for those purposes, right-handed pitcher. Ronald Acuna, outfield. Vladimir Guerrero, the Blue Jays' third baseman. Aloy Jimenez, the White Sox outfielder. Gleyber Torres, the now infielder, I guess, for the Yankees. Uh, Victor Robles, outfielder for the Nationals. Nick Senzel, third baseman for the Reds. Then Fernando Tatis Jr. of the Padres. Forrest Whitley, the right-hander of the Astros. Michael Kopech, right-hander from the White Sox. So while it's a near 50-50 split as far as position versus pitchers, when you look at the top 10 only three pitchers, and you could almost say two and a half of Otani, but we'll give credit for three since he's going to be out there every fifth day, it seems like, in Los Angeles. Um, Jim, are you surprised? Is that abnormal to have only three pitchers in the top ten? Um, you know, I think it's actually – I don't have last year's list from this time of year in front of me, but I want to say last year we had like something like two pitchers in the top 18 or something. It was really – Uncanny. I think it's. I think there's a couple things. One, I think we have a tremendous group of really gifted young position players in baseball right now, and so they're dominating. I also think too, and uh, you know, Jonathan might can chime in on this. If everything's equal, just given the attrition of pitchers, uh, you know, or, not equal because it's apples and oranges. But if I hold a, a pitcher and hitter in similar regard, I'm probably going to give the nod to the hitter just because you feel like they're a better bet to reach their potential because of the attrition with pitchers. But um, I just think you know, when you're looking at guys like Acuna and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Eloy Jimenez and Kleber Torres and Victor Robles, who are the first five position players on the list, I mean, that's just an insane amount of talent there. And, you know, and you keep going, you know, Nick Senzel, you know, solid tools across the board, Fernando Tatis Jr., even outside the top ten. I mean, it's just I think it's a little bit cyclical right now where the hitters stand out more than the pitchers, and it's been that way for the last couple of years. Jonathan, you look at number one, and obviously it's Otani. You guys count him in this because of uh, his age coming over from Japan, and he fits the criteria as far as prospects go. Uh, how debate? How big a debate was it, Otani and Acuna? And I guess Guerrero may have slipped into that argument as well. More than slipped in. Have you met Jim Callis? <laughs> um yeah, I mean, it was it was the, the three of them that were, were talked about. I mean, uh, for me, Otani was was always the number one guy since he since he signed with the Angels and decided to come over. Um, you know, and I think we've sort of talked this to, into the ground a little bit in terms of what he can or can't do, um, and, and uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but as long as we were counting him, and there were, you know, there were several people who were like, he's not a prospect. You know, why are you counting him? Uh, but uh, it's an arbitrary sort of line in the sand in terms of deciding who to count and not to count. And uh, he counts based on the rules that we that we set forth. So uh, as long as he counts to me, he's the number one guy. But 
I mean, even when Jim did that survey of executives, uh, you know, a lot of people picked Acuna. Uh, and Vladimir Guerrero might be the best offensive prospect we've seen in, in, a, in a long time. So I think you could make an argument for any of the top three to, to be in that top spot. Jim, what was – did you say – did you fight for Vlad to be number one, um, or is John over? I fought for him. I think we all voted, okay. and I'm pretty sure Mike and Johnson both had Otani one, Acuna two, Vladimir Guerrero three, and I had him in the reverse order with Vlad one, um, Acuna two, and Otani three. And, I, I mean, we didn't even really – I don't think we even debated it past that. I mean, because, to be honest, I think those are your top three prospects, and it's just a matter of – you know, you know what you want to put emphasis on, but you know, Otani is the best pitching prospect in baseball and a crazy good two-way talent. You know, we'll see how that plays. And we've discussed before. I personally would let him do one, and I realize you weren't going to be able to sign him if that was the plan. But I think by having him do both, it detracts. But there's no question he is the best pitching prospect in baseball, and he's a pretty you know, interesting position talent too. I think Acuna is the the best, most well-rounded five-tool player. Uh, in baseball, and I think, like like Jonathan said, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. It might have the highest offensive ceiling we've seen in, in, in quite some time. And I, I, you know, I will bet on Vlad's bat because I don't think there's any way he won't be a superstar with the bat. He might wind up being a first baseman or a left fielder or whatever. Um, but you know, so I, I didn't pound my fist on the table. I voted differently, but I, like I said, I don't think there's. I mean, the fun part about this stuff is there is no right answer. I mean, the, those are your top three guys. I, I don't. I don't even think Eli Jimenez is that far off from them. And we had him at number four. So even though my guy voted number one, didn't come out on top of the list. Um, I, I don't even. I don't even think I argued it. Did I, guys? I mean, I. I it's just no. those were the top three, and I think whatever order we we our consensus was 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 a pretty good order. Top organizations is another thing that kind of stems from the top 100, although it's not a clear-cut thing because obviously depth plays a role in what organization is really the best as far as prospects go, and this is only your upper echelon guys. That said, that you guys you guys do every year the prospect points system, which is number one gets 100 points, number two gets 99 points down the line. You add them all up, and, and as far as that goes, the Padres – come in at number one, 423 prospect points. They had seven players on the list. The Braves had eight players on the list, but only 407 prospect points. The White Sox were third, also seven players, 359 points. Um, they're number one on the prospect points list. Mike, I know the Padres are your team. Do you also believe that if you go deeper than that, the Padres definitely in the argument to, to be the best system overall? I'll say this, as I assemble my spreadsheets and start putting together all the names in that organization, that you could probably do a list of 50 legitimate prospects in that organization, if not more. It's, it's crazy deep. Um, the fact that they're the prospect points leaders doesn't even really do the system justice. And, it, and it's a lot of young, high-ceiling guys, as well as guys who are on the verge of reaching the major leagues. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to reveal too much, but it's it's – if a guy's not on the top 30 this year, it's really not a knock on him. That's, that's how deep the system is. All right, that's good stuff. And the Bra- as far as the other two teams go, the Braves, they have more guys on the top 100 list than any other team. So, so that helps the cause as far as you guys getting uh, destroyed on Twitter. Uh, 407 <laughs> points, but I assume that there are some fans out there, Jonathan, that wanted nine or ten Braves on the list too because they're another system that goes beyond that top 100. 
Yeah, they uh, not only do they uh, lead everyone in the most guys on the list, they also lead everyone with the most guys fans think should be on the list. Um, <laughs> that doesn't help their rankings, and you know when we do our, our top ten farm systems. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a very very good farm system. Um, I don't you know know if it's quite as deep as the Padres. I think you're probably splitting hairs. Uh, we have we haven't uh, you know laid out our our top ten farm systems just yet. Um, you know. To, I think we can all agree that the Padres, Braves, and White Sox are the are the top three in some order. Uh, but it is beyond. Sometimes you get teams that have like a bunch of top 100 guys, and then the rest of the system isn't very good. Uh, you know what stands out with the Braves is that even though they lost a bunch of guys uh, because of all of the uh, the scandal with John Coppola and, and losing all the you know the international players to free agency. Um, there's still a lot there. Uh, I don't know that I would go, you know, 40 or 50 deep. Uh, but when you're looking at guys at the bottom of the list and realizing that they're still really interesting and exciting with upside, you know, it's a good farm system. And then Jim, the White Sox uh, finished third as far as these points go. But you have to take into account with the White Sox that they've had some players graduate in the last year um, that are now in Chicago. Obviously, some highly rated guys are off that list, uh, or they could be even higher. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they, you know, they, two of the guys that graduated were Yohan Mankata and Lucas Giolito, who at one time were considered the best position player prospect in baseball and the best pitching prospect in baseball. I, I've liked their drafts the last couple of years. They still have kept talent uh, flowing. Um, you know, they, It'll be interesting because I think all three of these teams kind of fall in the category. Like, like Jonathan said, they're definitely, in my mind, the three best farm systems in baseball, whatever order you want to put them in. But a lot of times when you see teams with that much young talent, I think they tend to, to surprise you at the big league level by maybe contending a little bit earlier than expected. I mean, we saw that with the with the Astros, we saw it with the Cubs. I mean, a lot of times they'll take a step back, like the Astros did in 2016, and then kind of surge forward. Um, you know, the Cubs did. The Cubs won the World Series in their second year. The Astros won it in the third year. You know, the Brewers were a team last year that I think surprised us. They were another team with a really deep farm system that kind of jumped into contention earlier than expected. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying all three of these teams are going to contend, but when you look at a a big league landscape where there's a number of teams that are clearly retooling or, or don't really seem equipped to contend at all. I, I bet you that I, I would suspect that the Padres, Braves, and White Sox, that we'll see one of those teams, and maybe two, but I'll bet you at least one of them is in contention going into the final month or two of the season uh, and surprises us. You know, I think it probably comes down to whichever one or, or, or more of than one of them the, you know, the young pitching comes through, but uh, you, you, we tend to see that a lot, and, and I'll bet it happens with one of those clubs this year. I would give the Braves and the White Sox the edge simply because the Padres have to contend with the Dodgers, the Rockies, the D-backs, all three teams that were in the playoffs last year, and the Giants have certainly pushed this offseason as well. Much more to get into with the top 100 list, but before we move on with more of that, we want to take a moment to tell you about the Cut Forecast. The Cut Forecast is the podcast from the staff of MLB.com's Cut For section which focuses on the lighter side of baseball. If you made it this far into our podcast, we really think you'll like that one as well. It'll make you laugh, and you might even learn something about baseball, dogs, or ballpark food. If that sounds like something you want to hear about, search Cut Forecast. That's C-U-T, the number four, C-A-S-T, in Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get the podcast, and click subscribe. Now on with the show, and I want to get into big risers and some big falls as well as far as this top 100 list goes. Um, 
mathematically only when you talk about the numbers. Uh, Walker Bueller jumps 80 spots. Cal Quantrill jumps 57 spots. Now, Jonathan, you wrote that portion of the writing on the site. That's from last year at this time, correct? Because Walker Bueller, yeah. I believe, took a big jump midseason as well because he was so good in 2017. Right, as did Ronald Acuna, who uh, you know did start the year off of our list and then made a huge jump up. So yes, we're. Yeah. I, I felt it would be a little too difficult. We add guys as the year goes on, as people graduate, and then we do the re-ranking in July. So I thought it made sense just to look from last year, uh, you know, preseason to this year. Makes a lot of sense, and you look at those guys, and as as far as they jumped, uh, and you talk about Bueller. Is he a guy, and, and I guess I can just transition this into guys who could make an impact in 2018, then we'll get back to guys that have dropped off a little bit. But, Jim, is Walker Bueller a guy um, that has jumped to, to obviously number 13 here, made the big league debut late in 2017? Could he be an impact in 2018 with the Dodgers? He could. I mean, I think with him it's more a case of what kind of opportunity he gets, to be honest. Um because I think he's certainly capable of that. You know, a year ago at this time, he'd pitched, I want to say, maybe five innings in major league, I mean, minor league regular season ball because he'd come back from Tommy John surgery. And we were going out on a limb a little bit, I think, to, to, to rank him that highly. You know, there had been talk about how his stuff had come back really strong, but it had been for five innings, um, and he kept it up. I mean, I do think he can make an impact. Uh, you know, I, I just I wonder with the Dodgers being as deep as they are, and if they make some moves this offseason, if he's going to get an opportunity to start much for them. I mean, to me, the probably the guys who are, are I mean, the, the obvious guy who's going to make an impact this year would be Otani because the Angels are going to, you know, he's got a job and he's going to play both ways. You know, behind him, I mean, I think the guy, he's not ranked right at the top of this list, he's going to make a huge impact is Willie Calhoun because I think. With Willie Calhoun, I mean, there's no question he's going to hit and hit for power, and he's in a good hitter's park in Texas, and he's going to get the opportunity to play. So, um, you know, a lot of the, the impact-making uh, ability comes down to how much of an opportunity your club is going to give you. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Quantrill, obviously the 57 uh, spot jump. We saw him pitch in the Futures game last year, obviously in the Padres organization. And, Mike, he's, a, he's one of a group of those Padres young pitchers that I think were mostly double-A last year that are kind of all coming up together. It's pretty exciting if you're a Padres fan. Yeah, absolutely. And he's at the front of that list for sure. Last year, got a double-A. I struggled a little bit. The, number, the numbers weren't great. What you like to see from you know the 2016 number eight overall pick, but he was also working on a lot of things, and it was his first truly healthy season coming back from Tommy John surgery. With him, it's a really impressive fastball changeup combination. Uh, you know, I think the changeup is one of the best, if not the best, in the minor leagues. He's got very good control. He needs his delivery a little bit better, and that's something he's been working on with the Padres. I think the biggest thing for him, and it will determine whether he contributes this year or not, is how much the breaking ball has improved. He throws both a slider and a curveball. They kind of tend to bleed together. Not a, not a lot of great separation there that you'd like to see. Um, but, you know, if one of those comes along, if one of those progresses better than the other, then it's a much different profile and a profile that can contribute you know, pretty quickly. I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the big leagues at the end of the year along with guys. You know, maybe Eric Lauer, uh, the guy who got up to double-A last year, Joey Lucchesi. Some really, uh, some really interesting arms. Yeah, that Padres team is going to, I think, be more and more fun as the year goes on, as more and more guys make it up to the big leagues. Uh, Jonathan, as far as guys falling, a lot of times 
This has to do with injuries and other, not necessarily that a guy got hurt, but but maybe it affected the way he threw. Uh, Corey Ray falls from number 30 off the list. Other guys that have fallen off the list that were in the top 50 last year, Jose DeLeon, Braxton Garrett, Yadier Alvarez. Um, is there a, I mean, obviously they're all surprises because you guys had them ranked highly a year ago, but is one of those guys the biggest surprise for you that they've dropped as far as they have? I think that... The one that probably uh, it was the most disappointing. Well, there may be two, and they're both both from the 2016 draft class. One is Corey Ray, um, and it's not that there weren't some issues, uh, you know, coming out of, of college uh, with some swing and miss, but he, he just didn't make any adjustments last year, and it kind of snowballed on him. Uh, and then, you know. You, you, you have a chance to spend some time with the player like, we, like I did in the Arizona Fulling and you really want to root for him. So I'm hoping that he uh, he works his way back onto the list, makes some adjustments. Uh, but that, I think that was a big reason. Blake Rutherford would be uh, would be the other one. Uh, you know, both he and Mickey Moniak, you know, the high school outfielders from, from California. Uh, you know, Moniak had a, a rough uh, first full season. Uh, Blake Rutherford had a pretty poor first season as well. I think that's why he took a uh, a large, uh, a large drop uh, on the top 100. In both those cases, Rutherford and Moniak, but we, we didn't want to give up on them entirely. Uh, you know, thinking that there's a chance that they can turn things around after they get that first full season under their belt. But I'm definitely keeping an eye on, on them to see if they can learn from the the adverse they had in their first full year and, and sort of look more like the the players who were first round picks in 2016. 37 new players on the list as opposed to last year. Some of them we've already talked about. Acuna, the huge jump, obviously, up to number two. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., another one of those exciting Padres players. He flew up list. He's in the top ten as well. Jim, uh, who else, as far as new guys on this list, has you really excited about how far they've come in the last year? I think there's three other guys, and it would probably be the next three guys on the list who were the highest guys on the list who weren't on it a year ago. I mean, Bo Bichette was a guy who, who showed a lot of promise as amateur and got a seven-figure bonus as a second-rounder. I think there were some questions as to he had the kind of swing was kind of busy, how that would play in the minors, and all he did was go out and become the first teenager to win the batting title uh, in the minors since 1966. Um, so, I mean, he's won. You know, Austin Hayes of the Orioles, who – was a third-round pick in 2016 and became really the the first you know guy from that year's draft to make the big leagues. Nobody would have had him in that pool going into the year. And I mean, he's, he can hit for average, he can hit for power. He's got tools. And, and then Sixto Sanchez, who you know has some of the most electric stuff, one of the best three-pitch mixes in the minors. He's only gotten to low class A at this point. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if when we're talking a year from now. He might wind up. Uh, he might wind up being the top pitcher on this list after some other guys graduate off of it. Yeah, another team with some young, obviously talented arms coming up. The Phillies, as they also embark on this uh, rebuild, as well. Uh, another one I want to get into. We've done risers. We've done falls. New guys on the list. How about humble beginnings? And Mike, you wrote this article up on the story about players who you know. There's obviously a lot of guys on this list who were first-round draft picks, or big-time seven-figure international signings, and we always expected them to be great, and they have been great and all of that. But then there's other guys who have surprised along the way, both internationally with signings and also as far as draft picks go. Um, We already mentioned Willie Calhoun. 
uh, number 53 on the list. He was a fourth-round pick in 2015, not long ago. That kind of stands out. How about Victor Robles, though? He's a guy that has been on the radar now for a little while because of the tools. He signed for under a quarter of a million dollars out of the Dominican Republic, and wow, how far has he come? Yeah, looking like a pretty strong investment these days for the uh, for the Nationals. Uh, he's he's 20 years old. He's he's basically ready to take over in the Nationals outfield. Uh, it's yet to be seen where he, he's definitely a center fielder long term. It's a question of whether the Nationals deploy him as such right off the bat. But uh, you know, incredibly high floor because of the the bat to ball skills, the speed, the top of the scale speed, the elite defense. Uh, somebody who's going to make an impact at the top of the order. He, he, he gets hit by a ton of pitches. He knows how to get on base, you know, in, in that way. Um, and, and somebody who's, man, it, it's, not, it's not a surprise that every team has been asking about him for years, that, that they want this guy. The tools are off the charts. And, um, you know, along with him and Acuna, that, that's two guys in the top six who are considered bargain steals, with Acuna being, being uh, signed for um, $100,000. And Jonathan, when you look at the humble beginnings list, it, it makes sense, I think, that there's more of an international feel as far as surprise guys than necessarily draft picks because you think about guys being drafted when or being signed when they're just 16 years old, a lot can change. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, uh, Tim. You know, they're so young. Uh, I've always marveled at international scouts' ability uh, to project what a 16-year-old is going to look like when he's 23, 24, 25. It's hard enough for a high schooler, uh, but uh, I think the combination of the age, the lack of evaluation data, I mean, they're, they're not playing a high school season even. You can't see them. You, you don't get to see them that much against good competition uh, or in games much at all. Uh, so I think that's a lot of times why you get uh, a player who doesn't sign for a lot or isn't one of the top international prospects who ends up being uh, a really good prospect and then uh, you know a, a really really good player. Uh, you know, it's not to say that there aren't guys from the from the draft who exceed expectations, but I think it happens on a more regular basis when you're talking with uh, talking about the international crop. Jim mentioned uh, 2018 impact. He likes Willie Calhoun outside of Otani. I want Jonathan and Mike to get a say in that as well. Jonathan, do you have a guy that you think, besides those two players, could have a major impact at the big league level in 2018? Yeah, I mean, Calhoun to me is is one of those guys that I like that Jim brought him up because he's not uh, a guy who is that high up uh, on the list, but I think is definitely going to make uh, an impact if I were going to pick one other guy, uh, I'm going to say Lewis Brinson just because the opportunity is so obvious. Uh, and where I think we're finally going to get to see uh, if it will work at the big league level. I know there's some people concerned he's had some swing and miss in his game. When he really jumped on the, on the radar and into the top 100, uh, he had really made some adjustments to his approach, uh, was drawing a lot more walks and that allowed him to, to tap into his power more consistently. He's going to have to do that at, at, at the big league level. You know, he didn't get enough time in Milwaukee last year for you to get a real sense, but uh, he's going to get every opportunity to play every day in, in the Marlins outfield, and I'm excited to see how the power-speed combination plays. Mike, give me one more guy who you think can make an impact in 2018. Obviously, this also these kind of double as Rookie of the Year candidates. And for that reason, I'm going with Glaber Torres. Uh, people forget how good this guy is just because he was injured for, for much of last year, and we still have him ranked fifth on our, our new top 100. 
I wouldn't be surprised if he made the club uh, club's opening day roster. I know that's a stretch, all things considered, but it, it's that type of talent and that his ability to play multiple infield positions and just flat out uh, gives him a really good chance to spend much of, if not all, of the season in the major leagues, in my opinion. See if he can beat out Danny Espinosa in spring training for that uh, that infield spot, right? That was I was yeah, trying tough. I was trying to be funny there. It worked. <laughs> All right, guys, that's going to do it. Great stuff. Obviously, a tremendous job putting together the top 100 list. Um, We talked about a lot of topics there. There's even more available, uh, so make sure you get on there on MLB Pipeline and look at all the different articles that these guys have put together. Look at where your team ranks in the top 100, and this all leads up to later this month. We'll be following it up with the top 30 prospects for every organization Um, That'll be coming out later in February as we get closer and into spring training. That'll do it for another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. For Mike Rosenbaum, Jim Callison, Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in.